0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. we lift up our hands in acknowledgement that it is you. Everything that we do, it is all about you. Every blessing we receive, even the harsh things that we go through, we know that you in your sovereignty can use those for your purposes, God. We acknowledge and praise and give all glory and honor to you this morning. We pray that everything that we do this morning, every handshake, every person we greet, every word that comes out of anyone's mouth, glory and honor to you. We pray it in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Now, I know some of you um, have not been around, so we are continuing uh, in a series that we're doing called Game On. Where we're kind of looking at how to equip ourselves during the holidays and uh, for life in general, really, and we've been walking through um, some basic concepts, uh, but looking at it from a perspective of gaming, and we talked about the family, and we played around a family feud. We we talked about the marital relationship uh, and equated that to the Newlywood game. Um, Then we talked about community, and we really dug into and looked at uh, video games, and I know I lost a bunch of you on that, but... It's relevant, believe me. So this week, uh, we're talking about money. And uh, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, and depending upon when you started the Christmas holiday season, if you started, like, we, I guess, is the official start date for next year, August 30th, end of the summer, into Labor Day weekend to start your holiday season. And if that really starts it, because that's probably when a lot of people start shopping and spending money geared towards Christmas. Some of us start the day after Christmas for the following year's Christmas, but that's a whole other story. But uh, even the non-Christians, doesn't matter what your belief is, because even the people that say, hey, I don't celebrate Christmas, they take that time off. They don't go to work on Christmas Day saying, I'm in protest. I'm not going to be the only one in the office. Most of them will go spend time with their families and travel and They'll exchange gifts because that's what you do, even if they're not acknowledging the birth of Christ. So they're going to spend money too. So regardless of what your religious belief is, this is a season where money is kind of like a priority for everybody because everyone's trying to buy gifts for everyone. Uh, So since keeping with the game uh, analogy, we're going to talk about money, but uh, we're going to look at it from the aspect of Monopoly. Now, how many people have ever played Monopoly? For those of you that have not, where are you from? Really. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like apple pie baseball Monopoly. It's like a game that everyone on the planet uh, knows. And um, a little bit of background about it, because some of you may know this, some of you may not. Um, it was a game that dates back to 1923. Did you guys know that? Some of you guys did? Okay, I had no idea. I thought they created it when my mom bought it home. That's all I knew. Um, but in 1934, Parker Brothers kind of licensed it, put it out as a household game. Um, and there's a lot of good that can come from playing Monopoly. If any of you guys have ever played, there's some good money management that you can get. Uh, there's some good uh, just ideas of kind uh, of holding money, saving, so that you can do other things or buy other properties because in Monopoly you buy properties. Uh, but also you got to be careful because there's a lot of bad things that can come from it. Now, how many of you guys have ever played a game of Monopoly that lasted longer than an hour? Okay. Longer than two hours. Still most of the same people. Longer than five hours? Okay. <laughs> this seems like it? Yeah. Okay. There are some games we're just going to assume that, is that go on, and it's like you, you we're going to call it a night. We're going to leave it. We'll come back, and we'll finish it tomorrow or the next day. Uh, so it can be a little overwhelming. The other thing is, it can be really, it can turn some nice people into greedy people. How many of you have ever played with someone that was just all out greedy, harsh, ruthless, little sweet? Now, where's, uh, where, did Valerie go downstairs? She went downstairs? Okay. We're going to talk about Michael, but in a nice way, okay? So, because we all know Michael, he's a nice little kid. He's just your regular, run-of-the-mill, run-around boy, but if you, you could take him and sit him down, teach him how to play Monopoly, and you will see like an evil side. Imagine if you can see an evil side as he dominates and evicts people and takes their property and like hoards. People turn greedy, and in in take a little the nicest little girl or boy or person or your mom or your dad, brother, sister, whoever, and you will see an evil, greedy. Everyone's looking at Gary. <laughs> I just saw all the heads swift that way, but it happens that people just get, they just get like power hungry and greedy, so there's a, a bad side to it, but, but here's the thing. Um, the very first monopoly, not the game, but just the, the, the concept of a monopoly is that you dominate, you dominate and you own a certain industry, okay? So if, you, if the game of monopoly, you try to own all of the real estate. But if you think about a monopoly in the secular world, the companies that try to own or dominate a certain industry think about Starbucks dominating the coffee industry, uh, Apple and Google trying to dominate, and that you try to dominate a certain industry by a single entity. But the very first monopoly came from God. From From a biblical perspective, God said, I own everything, it's all mine. I do with it what I will. I own the cattle, the trees, the land, and, and, and every monetary, well, ours is no longer, but the monetary standards that are built on precious metals, and those precious metals come from the earth, God says, that's all mine, all right? Now, I'm going to walk you through a whole lot of scripture so you can follow along uh, in your Bible, uh, open it up to the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, but I'm going to put most of it up here on the screen because there's a whole lot of scripture and I'm going to try to go, like, really quick, all right? So now here's the thing, uh, and we've read this, this verse before a couple of weeks ago. This is David, and, and let me set this up for you. This is where all Israel, David said, hey, I'm going to build a house, the temple, and to build a house for God, right? And he had all Israel come in, and God said, no, you're not the one to do it. Your son Solomon will do it. And so David said, hey, I'm going to still bring together all the resources so that when it comes time for my son Solomon to do it, he'll have everything he needs. He won't have to worry about trying to gather everything, right? So this is what David said. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything. Now, this is, this is the king. This is the, the guy who, from a monopoly standpoint... He has a monopoly because nothing happens in Israel without his say. He is the king. He is the ruler. He gets to say what happens. He gets to say who lives, who dies. He gets to say how everything gets distributed. He has to say everything. But he says everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. From his perspective, he says, Monopoly, a monopoly, I, I'm in charge of everything. I, I have rule over everything. I have dominion over everything. But the only reason I have that is because of you, God. Now, here's, here's the dilemma as we go into the Christmas season, there is something that's going to have a monopoly over every single one of us, Christian, non Christian, spending everybody is going to be spending money. Some people are going to only spend what they have. Some people are only going to spend what they put aside. Lots of people are going to spend more than they have because they're going to put it on credit cards. And I'm not going to ask who has a credit card. I'm not saying credit cards are bad, okay? I'm just saying it, the monopoly, the thing that's going to have like a hold over every person this Christmas season is going to be spending because we're all going to be spending money. All right? Now, I'm just going to do a sidetrack. Um, not saying credit's bad, but I, I read this book, and I won't tell you the name of it because I'm not trying to endorse the book or the author or anything. But when I got a full understanding of how credit works, I was like, wow, it's literally like highway robbery to use a credit card. It is, it is in essence, um, let, me, let, me, let me do it this way. All right? Quickly, and again, I'm not knocking credit cards. Everyone has credit cards. But here's what happens. All right? If I say I want to open a bank, all right, and this is, this is really watered down, and all you people with financial knowledge are going to say, that's not how it works. This is in the Floyd world. This is my understanding. OK, if I say I want to open a bank, uh, according to the federal laws, you only have to have a certain percentage of what you're able to lend out. So if I want to, if I get a million dollars in loans, I don't have to have the whole million, all right? I only have to have a small percentage, which I think is 10%. You guys can correct me later. Um, on hand, in the bank, so if I have, like, $100,000, I can lend out 10 times that. So basically, if I put $100,000 in the bank, I can go to 10 other people who want to borrow $100,000, and I can lend it all to them. And I've only got $100,000 in the bank, but to 10 other people, I can each lend them $100,000. So basically, uh, the first person that comes, if that's Larry up front, his is backed by my $100,000. The next nine people, I'm giving you literally air, nothing, because I don't have anything to back it with. You are going out, and you're spending it or doing whatever you want with it, but you're paying me back interest on nothing, and I'm getting filthy rich, and that's the way credit works, and that's what all of us do every single day, and that's why there are, I always wondered why there's so many banks that are like right next to each other, like churches, small town bank, this bank, and this bank. It's free money. I mean, it takes a lot to go and open a bank and obviously $100,000, you need a lot more than that. You need millions and now as we go, probably billions, but that's how credit works. And monopoly, the thing that's gonna have a monopoly over everyone's lives is spending. And it doesn't matter. People are gonna spend money on advertising, lots of corporations, people are gonna spend money, families are gonna spend money on, on food, for meals, for big family coming in, on travel, every industry is going to get a little bit of our money because we're all going to spend lots of money. So here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's what, what, what happens. Um, David acknowledged, he said, you know what? God is the one who gives me all my money. He is the one where my wealth comes from. He is the one where my honor and my strength comes from. Uh, now, here's the thing. I want to show you this because right before he did that, right before he did that, this is what... Uh, Right before he said that, this is what David did. He told the people, with all my resources, meaning, now this is not his personal resources. This is all the resources that are available to him as a king. This is what he said. With all my resources, I provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones and various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. So he basically said, hey, I'm, I'm the king. This is what I want to do. I want to see God's temple built. So I've set aside resources out of, as the king, I've set aside resources to make sure that that happens. Okay? But then here's what else he said. He said, besides, in my devotion, now this is, he's going, talking about his personal uh, wealth. He says, to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. He said, I'm going to take out of my own pockets. Now, I'm not talking about my resources as the king where I can tap this budget and that budget. He said, out of my own pocket, what I have for me, my own personal spending. And here's what he said. He said, I have provided for the holy temple... 3,000 talents of gold, gold of offer, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls. Now, for th- to put this in context, and I know I used to hate when people do this because there is a different time. G- gold was worth one amount there and one amount here. And to be relative today, it's worth about 1700 <laughs> dollars an ounce. Ten years ago, it was worth about, what, $300 an ounce. In that time frame, I have no idea what it was worth. But if we were looking today, and to save all the math, uh, he, over six billion, six and a half billion almost dollars, is what he would be saying, I'm going to give to build the temple of God out of my own personal treasure. So imagine someone who, who has a monopoly over everything. Imagine the Bill Gates of the world. Imagine the, uh, whoever the other rich people are. Steve, well, he's dead, but imagine, and he didn't believe in God. But imagine all the other rich people saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to devote to uh, this cause or to this thing. Uh, I know I have a monopoly on this bit of the market, but I'm going to take a large chunk and devote it to some other cause or some other purpose. And here's the reason why. You know what that does when you give instead of spend? It helps eliminate greed. It helps eliminate greed. And before anyone says anything, this is not a, uh, hey, everyone should give more to the church, have more talk. That's not what this is about. This is just saying we're going to all go into this next holiday season. We're going to spend a lot of money. And to help us from going into debt, to help us from making other people rich by putting thousands of dollars in travel and food and gifts on credit cards, one way that you can put a check in yourself is say, I'm going to give money away. Whether it be a gift or whether it be donated to some charity, that helps to stop greed. You can't be greedy if you're giving stuff away. And there is, and this is why it didn't take off. There is a game. There's a Bible-like version of Monopoly. I think it's Bibleopoly. And the reason it never took off is because you actually get more. Has anyone ever played that? Christy and I. Okay, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you guys. You guys play. It's a it's a fun game, but. One of the focuses is to give away certain things at certain times (laughs) randomly and it actually works out that you gain more when you do that. And it never took off because you're not getting like a monopoly. You know, when you have all those properties lined up in front of you and when you're 12 and you have your mom saying, I can't make the rent and you're like, ah, too bad. (laughs) Not that we do that. But when you do that. That, that's like, oh, great, I get to take your property and I'm taking your hotel and you can't do this. It's greed coming out. It's just greed. But hey, here, let me finish. This is, what, this is what he says. So he gave like six and a half billion dollars. That was just for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? Because he said, hey, consecrate's a big theological word that just means set yourself apart for God. And he was saying, who is willing to give? In other words, your giving would be a reflection of your relationship with God. And if you read through the rest of that passage, people came and they just gave and gave. They unloaded to where the priest had to say, hey, king, you got to call a timeout. They're giving more than we have the ability to store. They're giving jewels, they're giving money, they're bringing uh, precious cloth, they're bringing all this stuff you got to stop them from giving. Imagine that if, if, if not just in our nation, but just in our communities, if a need arose and on the news they were like, hey, we were asked to tell you guys to stop the giving because you're giving way more than, than what is needed. That would be such an awesome thing. But here's, here's what else. Now, this is not the only time That David said, Hey, you know what? I'm in charge. I have a monopoly. I get to do whatever I want, but I'm going to practice giving. To me, what we're about to read, this is in essence the Christmas story. It has nothing to do with baby Jesus, but it is in essence the Christmas story. And I'll explain to you why. Uh, And just again, historical background on this. Uh, A lot of you guys know David was king, okay? But he wasn't the first king, he was the second king. The first king was a man named Saul. And God rejected him as king. Um, Let me show you this verse. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, here's what happened. The first king, Saul, had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. According to the way, you know, things worked back then, uh, once you're done being king, one of your descendants become king, so Jonathan should have been the next king. After Jonathan, his son, Mephibosheth, would have been the next king. Okay? But God rejected Saul as king. So that whole line never got to see their legacy, and what happened was, as when, when Saul and Jonathan were killed in a battle, uh, as it says, someone came to tell, hey, you know, your, your, uh, the Mephibosheth, his father and his grandfather were just killed in battle, and a nurse went to grab him, and she dropped him, and he became crippled in both legs, couldn't walk, all right, now, uh, let me show you this, Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He didn't keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Now, David became king, but it was 40 years later. Like Saul became king within the first two years, God said, you know what, you are disobedient. You are not following my will. I reject you as king. You're being removed. Even though he stayed as king for 40 years, God had already said, I'm going to put David as king. David was either, depending on your timeline, either two years old or negative eight years old at the time that God said, you, David, will be king. Now, this is, this, is, this is two things. This is really critical because this shows two things. One, first of all, it shows that God knows our heart. All right? So we can say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of person that I, I don't, I'm not greedy that I give whatever. And how many you have ever heard that verse that um, God loves a joyful giver? Anyone ever heard it's better to give to receive? And people hear those and they think those are only church-related things. And they think that's the church's way of trying to get money out of people. And it's not. God loves a joyful giver because he constantly gives. And it is better to be able to give to other people than to have to be dependent upon other people to receive what you need. That's just a fact of life, but in this situation, okay, um, Saul said, I'm I'm not going to, I have my own agenda. God said, I'm going to remove you, and God knew his heart, and even though he stayed there, and this is also the second thing it really shows that God is sovereign because there are people who sit and say, you know what? I should have been this. I should have been that. I should have married that person. I wish I had that family. I wish I had that job. I wish I was in this situation, and We're kind of impatient with what we think God should give us, and when we're impatient, we lose focus on God, and we're like, well, God's never going to provide 40 years. How many of us would wait 40 years for the job that God said, this is why I created you, or 40 years for the husband that God said or the wife that God said, this is the spouse that I have for you? Some of us can't wait four minutes in line just in the McDonald's drive-thru. Because we just, we got places to go and things to go, but 40 years, 40 years later is when he brought this to pass. Now, here's the thing, I want to show you this, and I know you guys are like, what does this have to do with uh, a monopoly? Let me show you this. God knows your heart, God is sovereign. David, who is now king 40 years later, David has the monopoly. He's settled in. He's king. He has the monopoly. He's ruling over everything. And he asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? See, the rule was when you became king, if I became king, if, if Larry was, you're in the front all the time so I can't help it, but if Larry was king over all Jefferson Hills, then the rule is that his descendants would be king. But for whatever reason, if God said, I'm going to remove Larry as king, and then I step up and become king, the rule is the first thing I need to do is I need to kill every single one in his house so there's no threat to my monopoly. Does that make sense? There needs to be a way for me to ensure that in order for me to have a monopoly, which again, it's, it's really greed, I got to make sure there's no threat. So I got to eliminate, and the most present threat is the guy who I just took the kingdom from. So everyone in Larry's descendants, all of his family, his cousins, his second cousin's twice removed, uh, his third cousins, and all his Facebook friends, all of them, gone. Because i got to make sure there's no threat. And in that way, I can solidify my monopoly. Now, let me ask you this. I'm going back, and some of you guys may not remember this. Any of you guys remember like the whole, this is before cell phones, so there's about half of you that have no idea what I'm talking about. Anybody remember the Baby Bells? The phones, like Bell South and all that stuff, a couple of you guys. Okay, let me, let me show you this. This is actually historical, all right? Uh, I know you think I'm making this up, but it's not. Um, AT&T used to be the only phone company. Only one worth anything, all right? They're not today, but they used to be. And the government stepped in and said, hey, What they would do is other little phone companies would be regional phone companies and little neighborhood phone companies and communities, but as soon as they started to rise up, AT&T would buy them, and they would either bring them into the household, you're now a part of AT&T, so I can maintain my monopoly on the phone system, or I'd buy you, fire everyone, shut you down, and then just keep going. And that's how corporations maintain they still do it today, maintain a monopoly. And so what the government did is they had to step in and say, you have a monopoly on the phone system. You're the only one who gets to say what the prices are. You get to define everything. That's not fair. And some of you guys are like, you've never heard of this, but a lot of you guys remember this. So they broke them up into what was called the Baby Bells, and they had a regional big phone company over like seven different regions, Ameritech, Bell Atlantic, Bell South, 9X. I don't know what they had here. What did they have here in this area? Bell Atlantic, Atlantic. okay. Uh, I was in New York, so I was under 9X. They had Pacific Telus, which I think was Pac-Bell, Southwestern Bell, and US West. Of all of these, of all of these, uh, very few remain because they got bought up by other people, and this is what they look like today. Yeah, AT&T, Verizon, Sprint. Everything else is small enough to not matter. Or if they're big enough, they actually belong to one of these guys. So we're back to, now it's not one company maintaining a monopoly. There's three, and there's another two, uh, Quest is kind of big, and I think they just got bought by somebody, that are big enough to really, if they wanted to, it doesn't look like there's a monopoly. But the government had to step in, because they said one entity cannot have that much power. It's greed. We can't allow it. And they broke them up. All right, but now here's the thing. This is, this is why I say this is, the, um, this is the Christmas story to me. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, the guy who was supposed to be king, should have been king, deserved to be king, did nothing wrong why he couldn't be king, but when Mephibosheth, blah, 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 Mephibosheth son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor, and David said, Mephibosheth, Your servant, he replied. Now, I don't know if you get this, but he was probably shaking in his boots because the guy who was now king, who according to every rule in the book is supposed to eliminate and kill every other threat to the throne, says, I want to see you come to my house. It would be like if I became, I, I took out Larry, killed all his Facebook friends, and then I find his grandson. I say, come on over. I want to come talk to you. And he's like, well, the only way you can maintain your monopoly is to kill me. But he shows up. So he said, your servant, he starts in your servant. There's a way of acknowledging I submit to you, which is a smart thing because he's now the king. And here's what David said. He said, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table. In my head, this, this is what I think the Christmas story is all about. This is God looking down on us who all deserve death because he has a mon- he's the giver of life. He has a monopoly over everything. He created everything in existence and according to his laws and his rules, as sinners, we all deserve to die. But he looks at us and he says, I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of Jesus Christ. Not because you deserve it, but because Christ deserves it. And because of your relationship with him, I will show you kindness. And he says, I'm going to restore to you that relationship that we are supposed to have with God, that we were intended to have with God, but that sin keeps us separated from having with God. And he says, you will always eat at my table. To me, in essence, that's why Christ came, to restore that relationship, to give us the ability so that we can forever sit at the Christmas table with God. Now, I'm going to ask the band to come up, and here's what I'm going to do. We're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer. Because when I think of this, and I was talking to someone, I can't remember who, a while ago, when I think of this, uh, there are people that say, you know what? Just like we were talking about, I should have had this, or I should have had that, or if God really loved me, why am I still waiting for this job? Why am I still waiting for this relationship to be restored? Why am I still waiting for uh, this or that or whatever thing that we look down and say, here's what I want for my life? But here's what God says to us. Now, God, again, he's got a monopoly on everything, but he gives everything to us freely. So for every person that says, you know what, hey, I've I've been in that place of expecting something and watching everyone else get what I'm supposed to have, God says, I can give you more. For everyone that's been in that place of a broken relationship and saying, I don't know how this is ever going to work out, and God says, I can work it out. And the Christmas, this Christmas, the Christmas story, it's great. Let me pause for a minute, because personally, I think Christmas is the, it is the most wonderful time of the year. Even the meanest, I mean, unless people go all Scrooge on you, but even the meanest people just turn nice. And there were people back when I was working in corporate America that were just, they were just, I mean, they were some of the meanest people that, and and, and it was like clockwork, because Christmas season started they had a glow. They were happy. They were cheerful. They were the ones that decided, oh, I'll go ahead and bring in cookies or bagels. But then January 2nd, <laughs> it wore off, and they were back to normal. But Christmas is, it is the most wonderful time of the year. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and then we're going we're to spend a, a moment of worship. But God, I want to pray for just every person in this room. Every person that's ever been in a place of kind of Looking forward to something that we think we deserve, we think we should have, we think we need to have, but feel like we're not getting. Whether it be a job, whether it be a relationship, whether it be a home, whether it be, uh, uh, um, you know, enough money to do the things that we think we want to do this Christmas, and for some reason we feel like we don't have it. God, I want to pray that we replace all of those things that we want. With just an increased desire for you so that we can see that in you all things are possible. God, we pray that this would be a time, whether we started shopping months ago, weeks ago, or last night, whether we started putting up decorations last month, or whether we start next week. We pray that this would be a divine point where we begin to look and celebrate and dwell on the birth of Christ as the most wonderful event in the history of this planet. We start to put our hearts and our minds on focusing and rejoicing on you and the joy that we can have by just celebrating your birth. God, we pray that from this point forward again that we would just start taking great joy in your birth, celebrating it. Our focus would not be on how much we're going to spend and what we need to buy and that you would help to minimize that level of greed that rises up during the Christmas season. Replace it with a desire to give just as you gave so much to us at the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. God, we pray that this would be the most wonderful time of the year where we share your story with our family and friends and those around us pray this in the priceless and matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.